guys, please follow me. I am so desperate for love and attention. I, I'm begging you to follow me. Please, for the love of God, tell everyone you know. I am so sad and lonely. My Instagram is at Jesse Curson, J-E-S-S-Y-K-I-R-S-O-N. Twitter, at Jessica Curson. Facebook, I have a fan page. You can like it. You can follow it. Jessica Curson. And then I have a website, jessicacurson.com, that I spent a shitload of money on. So if you can just click on that, that would be great. It has my upcoming dates, and I'm traveling all over the country. So check out my schedule. I am probably coming to a city near you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Sane. Oh, I'm so sick of saying that because I have to say it in a positive way. Let me say it how I really feel right now instead of just being like, Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Sane. Here we go. It's not real. This is how I, if I could really just say it the way I really feel. Hey, guys. Um, I just don't even want to be here right now. And I feel tired and sad and filled with fear but I committed to this podcast which I don't know I guess I guess it's a good thing your guest today is great but really nothing ever fills the hole and makes me feel better so I'm just filled with anxiety I can barely breathe uh I don't know thanks for listening and I don't feel well I really don't feel well I'm I think there's this thing my dad's done it because he has a lot of money so he can afford it there's this thing where you can have your whole body checked have you ever heard of that where you can have your entire body checked for like diseases and can't I don't really even know what they check for I feel like if I went through that thing it would be like like you know operation where you're just hitting the sides the whole time Operation was not an easy game to play for me because I was so anxious as a kid, so I would constantly buzz. Like, I'd go in to try to get the bone out of the person. It would, because I was so shaky. Probably from so much sugar and just anxiety. I love those old games, though. Remember Shoots and Ladders and Candy? Oh, God. Candyland was great. I can't believe I ate it. I used to love playing Candyland, and then just one day I was so hungry that I ate the board game, and it was very upsetting. I mean, it was delicious, but it was very upsetting that I just didn't have the game anymore. I don't know. Life isn't easy, but that's why I'm doing this podcast, and I'm a comedian, to try and make light of this world and make people laugh. And I am so excited for my guest today because she is absolutely brilliant and she's a star and she's on her way up to even being like a bigger star. I'm so excited for you to listen to her and to hear her story. Please welcome Yamanika Saunders. Hi, Yam. Hello? Hello? Oh, my God, I couldn't hear you. You know what it is? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. It's that I my earpieces broke yesterday, and I didn't replace them. So now I'm, I just can hear you out of, like, one ear, and it goes in and out. Oh, you mean, like, 
you can. So what are you hearing in the other ear? Because I just heard a man speaking. Am I hearing things? Yeah, that man was Luigi. Who's Luigi? You met Luigi, my boyfriend. Oh, yum. I thought it was from a video game. Oh, you thought it was from a video game. I, I don't know. I think, I don't know. You wouldn't have heard the video game, although there's a video game happening. Well, that's why I thought that, because you always are playing video games. And isn't it I am always playing video games, but that slowed down in, in recent months. Because life is so demanding. Yeah, life is super demanding. That's why I slowed down. I love you so much, Yamanika. I love you too, Jessica. I'm so glad that you decided to do my podcast. I mean, you always wanted to do it, but we're both busy. I mean, you're, oh, it's not easy. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not easy. I'm busy dodging bill collectors and uh, student loans, so. (laughs) 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 What bill collectors? This is going to be my favorite one I've done. Is talking oh, to you. Good. I'm telling you good. right I now. Can't, I can't wait. Everything you say makes me laugh. Every everything. You know, I feel the same about you. We're like comedy twins. I know. Mm-hmm. We and make we the come world from better. such different lives. Which who cares? But it's so interesting that you can connect with someone that comes from such a different upbringing. Yeah, I mean, but not not that different. I just didn't have all the habanagilas. Well, um, right. Yeah, you didn't have all the. <laughs> Wait, you grew up in Maryland. I need people to, because a lot of people, I need them to understand who you are and where you come from. And yeah, yes, yeah. So I was born in Baltimore, Mm -hmm. Maryland, and then I was whisked away to the boondocks of Maryland, uh, which is Aberdeen, and it's not even. It wasn't even a functional, livable place. Because it is, uh, it's an army-based town, really. So it's part of the Aberdeen Proving Ground. And mm-hmm. so we lived behind or in front of the Aberdeen Proving Ground. So we were uh, one of a few pedestrian families that lived in the environment wow. there. Yeah. And so I grew up, I mean, it was pretty rural. I mean, when I go back and visit now, it's, you know, they have a Wawa. So I think they're doing something. Um, but <laughs> when amazing. I lived there, there was no Wawa. We used to go a lot to like the grave sites and just, that was all. And like, you know, it was a lot of cow tipping and TPing houses, you know, weird <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> just Is to it, keep busy. The kids always tried to tip me, which made me very... <laughs> yeah well they used to my environment was like super white so they used to ask me if I could communicate with the cows you know the black part of them (laughs) if you communicated with the cow what would you say what would I say yeah I say whiteys are coming (laughs) because we not the ones out here killing cows chickens maybe but not cows Oh, I love chicken. You know I love mm. chicken. I mean, it's amazing. I always say, listen, you know, people try to really divide the racial lines amongst chicken. Uh, and black people sort of gotten this stereotype that we are the only ones that eat chicken. But I lived on 72nd Street between <laughs> first and second. And I can tell you that white people are keeping chicken alive. Well, they're killing chickens so that they can keep the chicken business alive. <laughs> oh, Jews eat a ton of chicken. I always say black people and Jewish people both love chicken. I'm like, people, it seems like well, people who've had a lot of loss. There so many damn meats out there. I mean, how many people are eating pheasant? 
<laughs> you know, are you you eating turtle dove and and alligator and there's chicken, there's beef, and if you if you quick enough with the eye, you can get some seafood. But other than that, it's like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you was eating whale back all year. <laughs> Like, well yeah, back. Chicken is the first thing that you're going to put your hands to because chickens are slow. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They got them necks that break very easy. I mean, it's almost have, like have the you only ever thing broken... God forgot to give them was a dinner plate underneath their ass. <laughs> and they all that is like just... knives and forks. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to eat this chicken. Oh, that is incredible. It's like a picnic basket in one animal. <laughs> <laughs> Like, you know those ones you open and it comes with napkins and glasses and a fork and a knife? That's a chicken. Yeah, that's what the gizzards are for. You ever notice when you look inside a chicken, when you get it, all this shit is stuffed inside of it? I don't know why they're going to put a fork set in there. That's what I really need. I don't need these gizzards. I need you to back up a, a bag up a knife and fork set with a napkin. And all that can go in the oven. And salt and pepper. Yeah, just put it in your little hands, a little salt and pepper shakers. And they can shake it on themselves before they get killed. <laughs> you and I are out Why of our mind. <laughs> this is going to be nuts. Have you ever eaten, like, alligator or any of that shit? What did I have? I had frog. And they were like, taste just like chicken. I was like, yeah, but I could also eat chicken that tastes like chicken. <laughs> like, what's this magic at where everything got to taste like chicken? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it was so little meat on the frog. Like, there's only... <laughs> I a, know. But, like, frog is a poor man's chicken because there's only, a, you know, a little bit of meat on it. Frog <laughs> is more like a stewing type of meat, you know? Where you're just trying to get a nice like seasoning going. Yeah, like bones. It's like putting bones yeah. in something. Yeah, By I... the time you get finished frying that leg, it's going to be nothing <laughs> but a toothpick. <laughs> This has I, turned into like a cooking podcast and, and has nothing to do with who the comedy. Cares? Like, who? I'm glad. I Some of them get so serious. I once okay. ate 520 chicken. <laughs> I once ate 520 frog legs and I was starving. Are you still starving? Yeah. How many, how many frog legs does it take to make you full? <laughs> Infinity. All the frogs. Every even the one that opens up the WB network. I need him in the pot too. That's their cousin. Did you ever perform? Did you ever perform? Did you ever like do when in science? Did you have to like pick through a frog? That was painful. Yeah, yeah. I had to. We had to dissect a frog and a baby pig because um, I went to a parochial school, so you know. They didn't believe in keeping anything alive but children that you can't afford to keep. Um, <laughs> so I remember that um, one year, one of our science teachers, he he was kind of old and maybe a, a little senile, and he hit a deer <laughs> oh with his truck. God. And, you know, he had such an industrial strength truck that, that the deer actually died and he was fine. But... Then he said that he found the deer in the woods and he watched it make its final leap before it died and this whole beautiful story. And then he cooked it, you know, for us. What? We had, you know, we had venison. Yeah, we had venison burgers or whatever it was, sandwiches. 
you know, he kept saying, oh, what a beautiful story how this, this deer took its final leap in front of him. And somebody was like, yeah, but I taste like car track. Like, it tastes like <laughs> tires. <laughs> right? And, I, and, and it's like, yeah, it, is, it looks like there's a license plate imprint on, on the burger. I mean, like, where did he take his final leap? In a minor key? Because this deer in a has been key. murdered in a car accident. Okay, this is not Bambi's mother. You understand? This is <laughs> the like the burger this... said Buick. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. And then you could taste some of the pellets from where he just tried to get it out of his misery. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, the whole the whole burger was definitely against the FDA. <laughs> yeah, the burger had yeah seatbelt in it. Like why? Yeah, what was that? Yeah. So wait, it, it, it was it was delicious though. And then we had we had uh, chocolate covered roaches. One, it what? was just like, yeah, you know what it is. Young white kids in the suburbs got too much time on their hands, <laughs> so they just trying to. And I was like, you doing all this roach eating? Why don't y'all go up to Baltimore and really help out the epidemic up there? Because that's where all the roaches are. <laughs> you need to go to the inner city and start throwing some chocolate on the floor. Yeah, I was going to say that. We had to pay for them. <laughs> you just keep like you whip like Nutella all over the floor. <laughs> yes. Did you have siblings? Did you tell everyone like who grew up in your house? What what what's your? Well, I grew up an only child, but I I had three half sisters. Unfortunately, I only have two now. Yeah. One of my sisters was killed in a car accident. I did not really grow up with them. You know, we were around each other enough to probably not argue about my father's will when the time comes. <laughs> um, I grew up only child. It was just me and the five different personalities that I would talk to, which really <laughs> my grandmother kept my grandmother busy because she thought something was wrong with me because I was talking to an invisible friend until I was about 10, 11 years old. So, oh, wow. What was the friend's name? I don't remember. I don't really remember that time. Like, just surprisingly, because yeah. I at 11, I should. I I don't know. No, I'm like you. I blocked out. A, I don't remember. Literally, I think I remember like 10 things about my childhood. It's crazy. I, I wouldn't remember yeah. the name either. But I remember the talking I get to something. away from it. You remember having that that going on. I remember my grandmother looking at me very weird there was a period in time where you know she was like i'm about to start locking the bedroom door because she didn't trust me and and rightly so you know also my childhood was like you know my mother talks about getting me into theater classes when i was a kid like very young because like the first couple of years i didn't really speak and they thought something was wrong with me they thought like i had some type of developmental delays oh, but wow. i just but then when i started speaking i did i didn't shut up so i, was, I just <laughs> Just me kind of being selective. So that's how I got into theater classes when I was a kid. Cause my, one of my mom's friends suggested that she put me in an acting class so that I would be forced to talk. So interesting. And I interact that. with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you feel like so you were a depressed kid? Um, I don't think I was a depressed kid. I just think that I was disinterested in dealing with anything external to my immediate family. I was very angry as a kid. Really? Why? Because uh, there was a lot of fighting at home, and it was just a tense environment. I actually, this is crazy. You probably don't even know this. I used to fight boys, like, every day after school. Isn't that interesting? You used to fight boys? Yeah, physically. I used to physically fight boys, like, on the schoolyard. 
I, was, I think it's smart. I think boys develop their fighting skills much later than girls. Girls are very tricky because there's a lot of hairpins and nails that get involved. Right. I mean, my family, we definitely talk very rough. It was a lot of maybe bickering, especially for my grandfather. He bickered a lot and fussed a lot. But we spent so much time laughing mm-hmm. at, after. Like, everything always ended with laughter or a joke or something. Like, you know, after my grandfather's been fussing for, like, an hour, like, about something I did or my aunt did. And my grandma's like, oh, be quiet, Ned, you old hippo. And then it's like, okay. <laughs> then yeah. we start laughing about that for, like, an hour. It just, no, we never, we never really went to bed angry as a family it was just we, we all beautiful. kind of just laughed together yeah it was fun and then my grandfather was the funniest person and then my mother was and then it was just trying to like always trying to outbeat you know be funnier than my grandfather which eventually I became funnier than him and it was all about one-upping each other you know I grew um, up like and that that's too. really joke yeah. writing 101 yeah yeah, it's interesting. You come from a very close family. I mean, I've always known that and seen it. And I've met your mom. Like, I just, I love it. I love mm-hmm. how close your family is. Yeah, we are. We're very close. But then we're also, like, maybe too close sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it can be, it can it can wear on you, you know? The boundaries, but, you um, mean? Like, being, like, boundaryless? When I see, like, a lot of people don't have a family, mm-hmm. you know, at all, or don't have a connection with their grandparents at all. It's like, it's really sad to me because it's like, I was so close to my grandparents because they helped raise me, you know, and they yeah. were responsible for raising me for many years while my mother pursued her career and things that she was doing. So, you know, I had like two moms essentially yeah. and a dad. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I always got that from you and I think it, it, it's really the basis of who you are. Like you're so grounded in certain ways. You really are. Mm-hmm. I feel like comfortable and protected by you. I can't, it's hard to explain what I'm saying, but I think that comes from having that kind of family, you know, coming yeah, from well, that. I appreciate that. You have a very common spirit too. I just think in general, we probably like were very similar. We probably would have either fought <laughs> as kids or been like really close friends. Oh, I think we would have been best friends. Are you kidding? We would have yeah, laughed yeah. every day together. I think so. I was like for for me, you know, especially in the school that I went to, it was only a few people that I was really close with that I could really trust mm-hmm. because it was just a it was so many things going on, a lot of like stereotypical racist views that I had to deal with. So it was a lot of alienation at a certain point when I think like racism really is taught and is implemented into your character mm-hmm. i had a uh, my first crush i guess it was his first crush on me was uh this sweet little boy in school and he his father owned a car dealership and his father had married a woman so they had a stepmom <laughs> and I guess they were just trying to compensate for like this new family structure. So they kept buying them animals and got them this kind of like mini farm. And so he would bring me <laughs> little chickens. He'd bring me chicky, like little Aww. chickies to school every morning. Aww. And then I wouldn't be able to bring them home because my grandmother didn't want any animals in the house. Right. So it was like, I'd, I'd hold them and then I'd give them back to him. And then one day he brought me a little kitten and I remember I was like, oh, I had to take this kitten home. And I snuck the kitten in. 
and was trying to keep the kitten alive in my room without anybody knowing it. And then my grandmother <laughs> found the cat when I was at school. It was a mess. She was like, you have to give the kitten back. But she let me keep it for like a couple of days. It was so weird. But he's now a very fabulous gay man living in Connecticut. So wow. I, I've, I've been a beard since <laughs> um, fifth grade. <laughs> I've been a beard, and I and I know for certain that one of the guys that had a crush on me in school, if he's not about to be a mass shooter, has had <laughs> dreams of it. So that's sort of what I attract, like mass shooters <laughs> and gay men trying to live their wildest fantasy. Because I just have just enough masculinity to give them their man fantasy, and my clit is big enough to be possibly a micro penis. Is it that big? I mean, I don't know. I think it can get the job done. I think my clip's definitely bigger than a lot of these niggas' dicks. <laughs> Do you know how much I love you? I really... I love you, too. Sometimes I look at men in the audience and I'm like, Do you have no idea, like, the women I've been with and also what I have in my drawer compared to what you have in your pants? <laughs> like it makes me feel so powerful because I have like I got a seven lot of, shit of them. In my drawer too. You do, yeah, but you, so now I don't have to really use them. But yeah, I know. Life. I'm happy you don't. I mean, even if you did, who cares? But I'm happy that you're, you know, getting satisfied because I know you like sex. Yeah, I mean, I'm a Scorpio, so obviously I like sex. But I, it's not. Uh, it, it depends on the people, right? So it's not just like oh, of course, I can have sex with anybody. But if I'm with somebody, yeah, I would hope that I want to have sex with that person. Yeah, I mean, we're both Scorpios. Mm -hmm. You know that. I don't know. Yeah, if you remember yeah. That. No, yeah. I remember that. I remember that because that was the first thing I remembered about you when I met you. Like what? It's been like sixteen, seventeen years ago. Mm -hmm. And I remember you being a Scorpio because I think your birthday had happened or something around the time. I don't remember you saying you were Scorpio, but I like remember some type of celebration or something going on. And then I was like, oh, that's perfect because I instantly get attracted to people who are Scorpios. Me too. And I'm like, well, this person I don't have to explain anything to because they're going to get me because we're the same person. I so get you, Yamanika. And I... I know you do. No. First of all, let me just tell, oh God, I know this sounds like I'm just saying it, but I think because people listen to the podcast, they know I don't always say this about everyone, of mm -hmm. course. You are brilliant. You are oh, so brilliant. It's, be, it's besides, it's like so beyond just being funny. It is, oh, just as an actress, as like just the things you come up with. And I, I like, you're just so, I could watch you forever hours on stage where I can barely watch most people. Um, <laughs> well, it's right. true. No, I, I appreciate can. that. Thank you, because I feel the same about you. You know what's so funny is when they did my spotlight on um, This Week at the Cellar last season, a friend of mine was like, wow, like, how many times you guys do that laughing take? Because they had, like, you and I laughing, like you had said something, and I I'm remember. laughing. Yeah. And they were like, how many times did you have to do that? It just seems so real and I was like because it is like mm -hmm. we, we didn't even know they would tape anything it's like that's how we get down you know it's just <laughs> we make these dumb videos all the time Yamini can no, I it's make always something we're seeing yeah <laughs> I love doing one where I'm a white girl complaining and saying white lives matter <laughs> like and yes, I it's really hard they love those. I know they love those it's my favorite they do it's, it's really hard because like all lives matter like all lives matter not just black what lives what you talking about you stringy head witch <laughs>
string the arrow. My whole family family died on Juneteenth. Like what? I want to. Uh, what I love, I, what I love is when people are around us when we're doing this because neither one of us break character. So then everybody's oh, yeah. like, they're like, do I call the cops or do <laughs> I call an acting agent? Because <laughs> that's true. One, one or the other is necessary here. <laughs> yeah, this, I. You know what? It's going to be a casting agent because you and I are going to do a lot together. I know that. I mean, I I already know that. A thousand percent. A thousand Yum, percent. I want to I want to ask you something if you don't mind talking about it. Like mm-hmm. you said, you grew up in a very white area. Like, were there were you friends with any other black kids growing up? Or I I just I want people to understand like mm-hmm. where all of this comes from. This is very important to me. A lot of people want to understand my attitude because I think it is often quite different. From other people's attitudes, um, I think a lot of times comics of color are either trying to explain themselves mm-hmm. and how they're different than whatever people think or better than what people think, or they're trying to either like really lodge into the stereotype of what people think. Yes. Um, and me, I learned very early on that I just don't give a fuck in terms of what people think. I mean, I remember like the school I went, I went to the school called Harford Christian um, and it was in Dublin, Maryland. And it was a fluke that I even went there. My grandmother loved to shop and she loved to go find these different, cause she, my grandmother retired at the age of 49 from GE. Wow. And she just had all this time. She had stocks in the company. Hmm. She had all this extra little cash. Plus, my grandfather was like, he, you know, my grandfather was so old school and Southern. He was getting everybody an allowance. So he was giving my grandmother an allowance. I'm like, she has a job. What <laughs> the fuck you giving an allowance for? <laughs> right. But, like, you could be stepping up this $20 a week that I get. <laughs> and I got to do a lot of shit. I got to wash the dishes. I got to iron your clothes, make your lunch every day. <laughs> right. You know, and all she got to do is suck your dick is a problem. <laughs> so my grandmother would, you know, she would go different places. Like, I remember she found this place out in, I think it's Delaware, called Cowtown. This is like before cell phones and all this. So she found this place and then she had to go find a pay phone to call back to the house to tell my grandfather how to meet her there because she had bought all this stuff and she needed extra space for the car. It was just, some, you know... So this is like the type of person my grandmother was. She went on to be a, a Salvation Army aficionado and um, going from Salvation Army to Goodwill to Salvation, dropping off clothes, picking up clothes. Mm-hmm. You know, they knew her by name when she passed away. The women cried at the Salvation Army because they knew they would never have another person buy that much shit from them. She, so she found the school hard for Christian. And she said that it was God's will that she was to find a school that was literally in the middle of nowhere while she was out shopping and I I remember I didn't want to go to the school and she was very adamant about me going to the school so I wound up and it was a you had to take an aptitude test to get in it was just really crazy so I wound up going to the school and it was no people of color really um none at all like none and eventually like by the time I moved up to middle school because I started in the fifth grade and then middle school started sixth grade so I think there were and it was like pre-k and all that was in a different section so like there were some girls that were in two little black girls who were in 
kindergarten and pre-K. And by the time they reached first grade, I was already going to the other building, which was uh, the middle school and high school building. And there was no, mm. no one. There was like one Chinese kid, but he left because he was like, I'm above this. The first person of color that wanted to come into the school was a young lady named Danielle. But Danielle and I were not in the same grade. Danielle was a military brat. So mm. when she came to the school, we were in different classes and stuff like that. And she was very quiet. She kept to herself. But, you know, we always looked out for each other. I, you know, I would nod at her, let her know, like, you know, mm. hey, I'm here. If you have any problems, this is what it is. And then like a year later, uh, my best friend Denise came to the school, and I and she was the first person of color to be on my bus too. Wow. So it's like she she talked about the first day that she came on the bus, and I saw this like black girl, and I run up to her, and I'm like, "Come sit back here with me." Like she thought I was weird because I was like, "Come, come, come back here, sit here with me." Like we're gonna be friends, you know? Because I just needed something other than this whiteness I was seeing every fucking day. And this whole, like, explain culture of, like, you know, I was getting my hair braided. And then this was really when, like, mm-hmm. coloring hairspray was coming out. And, you know, I was getting my hair done up in, like, a pineapple. And they're like, well, how does your hair stay up like that? And, then, uh, you know, why are you wearing this? And then I would, like, you know, we wore uniforms. But then I would always have my own little twist on it. So I would have, like, my tie would be, like, kente cloth or something like that. Like, mm-hmm. I would keep it, like, just to let them know. Yeah, I'm curious, like, I want people to hear this because it's very important. How did, I feel like it's so hard growing up to begin with, being in fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. I mean, it was the worst time of my life. Yeah. So how did you feel, like, how did that shape you as a person? It's fascinating. Well, I had a lot of things going on. I had a lot of things, like, in terms of, I already was in uh, somewhat of uh, a life chaos because, at that time, that was when I had first really come back to live uh, with my grandparents without my mother. Mm-hmm. So I was already dealing with that. The neighborhood we lived in was a black neighborhood. Like, it was a upper middle class, middle mm-hmm. class, upper middle class neighborhood. So, like, you know, the sheriff in our neighborhood, he was black. We had veterinarians, you know, that lived in our neighborhood, lawyers, doctors, you know, people who worked. My grandparents owned couple of businesses, one of which was a nightclub, um, Mm -hmm. and then they were just getting into the church. So, you know, I would go and see this great environment that they don't ever speak about when it comes to black people, right? Like, we all live in the ghetto and whatever it is. And then I would go to church, which was very black, you know, and uplifting. And then I would go to school Monday through Friday, and my experience would be all white, you know, just really getting fucked up information about not only American history, but black history, what little bit that they did tell was always fucked up Mm -hmm. and not correct. As I got older, I realized that the shit they was talking about, like they didn't even get apartheid right and talking about that, that was wrong. And then you add to the fact that I'm, you know, by the time we get into sixth grade, there was a, a young lady I was really close with who was obviously she was white she wound up having an eating dessert disorder. Mm-hmm. And this is around the time we were learning about Karen Carpenter. Like we watched a Karen Carpenter movie and she was just showing all the signs of being anorexic, you know, sort of having the jaundice in the face, the yellow, mm-hmm. the wide face, but the narrow body sunken in. And I told my teacher that I thought she had an eating disorder. And I really had kind of blown the whistle on that mm-hmm. because we were really good friends. And she wound up having to leave school for half a semester 
to go into a facility for um, anorexia. So by the time she comes back, she's obviously furious with me. Yeah. And now it's like, well, you know, I don't want to be friends with you. So I re- that was my first real introduction to, like, how nasty white people can be when they don't like you. And so she had a birthday party, and I, and she had invited everyone. And we had a, we had, it was a very small school. I think the school in totality was, like, 500 people. One home was, like, 20 people. One was, like, 15. They split our grade up. That's It hard. was so small. We kept moving. Our homeroom teacher kept moving up with us. That's how small we were. Yeah. That... You know, we transitioned from fifth grade. Miss Parks was our homeroom teacher. She was moving to middle school, and they were like, hey, just take this class with you because they're so small. They need you. You're like, oh, everybody got a birthday invitation. It was like a slumber party, so it was like all the girls got it. I didn't know enough uh, to protect myself because as an adult, I could say somebody's passing out invitations to everybody and you don't get one. Mm-hmm. You don't let them know you care, right? So you yeah. wouldn't ask them, where's my invitation? But I'm young, you know, so I'm just like, well, I don't get an invite. And she's like, yeah, my mother doesn't want you at the house because she thinks niggers are dirty and she doesn't (sighs) want you to dirty her towels. That's what she full blown said to me in front of everyone. Are you kidding me? I'm not. And and it was very much okay because it's a parochial school. So they really justify their racism at a religious level because there's things that they pull from the Bible to justify why not everyone can be treated the same. Hmm. So, you know, that's. How did you deal with it after that? Like, what did you do? Did you, did that make you even like more passionate about acting and being funny? And cause that's. No, I I was already in theater classes. Um, I was still taking independent theater classes. I was also, they had a drama club. So I was a part of that. I was, and band. Um, I went on to go into honors band. I played percussion when I was in high school. I played field hockey. I played soccer. You know, I was a cheerleader. Like, I was still very active, but everything came with a price. I'm definitely shaped different than these white girls that I'm going to school with, right? So Mm -hmm. when you talk about, like, a parochial school where they have modesty codes and it's time for me to put my cheerleading skirt on and I got a big black ass, yeah, that these girls don't have to deal with, and their skirts are like in the front, and they because they would check the rim of your skirt from front to back to make sure that it all hit your knee, and then oh. by the time they got to the back of my skirt, because I had a gigantic ass, it's all like it was all raised in the back, so I had to get extra paneling so my skirt would be long. It was crazy, yeah. You that's know, like so you're also developing makes... as a yes. kid to a, from a kid to like a preteen. You know, it's like all this weird shit is um, is going along, and they, and they, and they divided the lines in the sand. Like I think, like in the beginning, like when we were all in fifth grade, and you know, people have these crushes, and, and nobody really cares because you don't really understand what a crush is. You just know somebody kind of likes you, and it doesn't mean anything because we haven't really drawn a line in the sand. Mm-hmm. And then now we get to sixth and seventh grade, and you know, like. I remember this kid liked me, right? And his cousin, we were in math class, and he sends me the, you know, the do you like me, yes, no, that kind of shit. Mm -hmm. And his cousin intercepts the note, and she reads it, and then she's like, oh, you're a nigger lover. Because, you you know, this is the type of shit 
that when I tell people, they're like, where the fuck did you grow up? 1855? And I'm like, no. No. This was I know. not that's 1855. Why, yeah. That's <laughs> you know, why I'm, that's why I'm asking this question. This is yeah. like 89, 90, you know, 91. This is like the time that we were in, mm-hmm. and it's not that far uh, removed. But it's worse so, now. Forget about 18. What, are you kidding me? Oh, it's, yeah. Now it's, it's like... It's, everybody's justifying how they feel because everybody thinks that the way they feel about something is what's important and not how somebody that's affected by something mm-hmm. feels. And so it was a lot of a lot of that. And then the last straw for me when I started to check out was um, because I, I wound up moving to Los Angeles when I was in the 11th grade. So when we... Ninth grade, we had an incident where one of my friends that I was really close with, his father killed his mother and oh. then committed suicide. Oh, my God. And so my friend had to leave school and go move in with his aunt and their kids. And somewhere along the way, joined the skinheads and decided that he was going to come back and do me harm. And so I remember having that conversation, like getting called to the principal's office and then asking me, like principal asking me if I had any contact with him and was I aware of any threats and, you know, shit like that from like every year, like the principal would be like, yeah, we got to drive you home because the Ku Klux Klan is doing a rally and they're walking. It's like, this is the type of shit we live in. So when we, going on stage for me at this point is really nothing because mm, since right. I've been That's the point. really cognizant of who I am as a person, mm-hmm. I've been dodging and ducking shit and <laughs> and having to think three and four steps ahead of my situation right. so that I ain't trapped up. No, I know. I, I so understand what you're talking about just from growing up in a specific kind of household and knowing I was different because I was a tomboy and was didn't mm-hmm. want a boyfriend and also the Jewish stuff, which was not as extreme, but it was still pretty... I, I had a lot of things happen to me. Like, this kid would always throw pennies at me and be like, you Jew, you know, pick it up, you you cheap Jew, you know, like... St- what did he think you were, a toll booth? Pennies? I know, I'm like, pennies, what are you kidding me? Like, if you uh, throw a half dollar... <laughs> right, so a dollar... That's awful. But yeah. that but like people feel justified. My biggest thing with my family, right, is that especially with my grandmother, and I don't resent them for it because I understand where they were coming from. The year before I wound up moving to Los Angeles, I there was this whole thing going on at school and in the and like the principal's son was involved. It was so nuts. And they decided they were going to form their own, like, little, um, conf- you know, Confederate flag group or whatever. So they started wearing Confederate flags on the back of their jackets. And Crazy. this kid I shared a locker with, Joe Thibodeau, he was so fat. But it, And he used to leave these mayonnaise sandwiches, tuna and mayonnaise sandwiches in the locker and for days. And then they would stink. So they spray-painted nigger on my locker. Mm-hmm. And they did this after school, so and you know there's no cameras, and so they they can't figure out who did it. But I re- we they were able to trace it back enough that it the principal's son was involved in a couple of these other kids. Mm-hmm. And so when they spray painted nigger on the locker, I remember Joe saying to me, "Look, they called you a nigger," and I said, "No, I said they called you a nigger because it's on your half of the locker." And he was furious the whole the whole day. He was furious because it was on his half of the locker, and 
I had told him he was a nigga. So, like, you know, it was this kind of sh- back and forth shit, like, to constantly not get played. You got to try to play somebody else. Mm-hmm. Don't nobody have time for it. So I got to the point where I was like, I don't want to be, and I don't want to be here. So I remember, like, it was one week where I was just, like, faking like I was sick because I just couldn't deal with it. And my grandmother said to me, she was like, I don't, you know, she's like, you're going to have to go back to school on Monday because I know nothing's wrong with you. And I don't know what's going on there, but I'm going to tell you this much. Like, everything happens for a reason. God wants you to go to that school for a reason. And we're not going to let nobody stop you from going to that school and getting the education that you deserve just like everybody else. And so she was really adamant about me staying there. And I knew the only way that I could get out of there is to find a way out. And so fortunately, my mother started getting involved again in that, like, aspect of it. And then I wound up going to a performing arts school in, in Los Angeles after I got accepted. And I had a great experience, you know. I had a great yeah. time. I got to deal with a diverse group of people. But I didn't even realize when I got there how limited my mind was right. because I had all these conservative, Republican, Christian, narrow views on the world, and I would infect other people. So I, it was the first time I had to deal with people who were queer. It was the first time I had to deal with people who were, like, identified differently than mm-hmm. their gender assignment, you know? Yeah. And people who said they didn't eat meat and people who like, you know, and I was very like, you know, it's not okay for you to be a man and dress like a woman. It's not okay for you not to eat meat that God put. It was like all this shit that I had and I didn't realize how narrow-minded I was like the people that were infecting me with their nonsense. So it it, it takes a lot to unlearn bullshit that you're taught. And that's not to say that I don't respect Christian values and that I don't respect people who uphold them staunchly. It's that when you get a chance to see the rest of life and know that whatever your opinions are about life are not the only opinions in the world. Yeah. Your view, right, your tolerance, your patience, your empathy and sympathy and compassion for others is just going to change because it doesn't have any other option other than to change. So it's really like when we deal with all these people who have all these narrow views, it's because they don't know shit and they're ignorant and they ain't never experienced nothing. And they're making judgment calls on things they don't understand because it's different than themselves and they barely understand themselves. Yeah, I mean, that's so true. They're scared. And fearful, they, 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 they don't know any better. That's all they know. It's so true. And it's hard yeah. to understand that and be patient because people are so mean-spirited. You know, it's, I'm oh, sure yeah. people are listening to this and like, oh, my God, I can't believe she went through that. And, oh, this sounds like, But I want people to hear it because this happens, oh, oh, my God, obviously, millions of times a day. And if one oh, yeah. person can hear this and go, oh, maybe I should be different or maybe I can think differently. I mean, it's just... You're hurting people so much but with words. It's Oh yeah. Horrible. I did a whole I did a whole I wrote a play about this that I I was in a this a group called Voices in Harmony. It was dealing with kids, uh, you know, really like inner city kids, which I wasn't, but they you know, I mm-hmm. mean the time is so removed from when I was there, I don't think I'm really spilling too much tea about about them. They sort of were were stacking the deck by making this sort of like 
there were kids that were inner city, but obviously I was a kid going to perform arts high school and I was studying theater and I was being trained in the theater. So it was like, I was sort of like, uh, what do they call it when they add somebody that a ringer and we got to work with mentors and, you know, write a play. And I, we wrote plays about our experience or whatever we wanted to write a play about. And I want to write a play about my experience at the school. Mm-hmm. I remember we, we were calling the place cause I didn't, we didn't want to name where I was from. So we were calling it Hicksville, but just because it was Hicks there. And then it, in the middle of it, we had to change it cause there's a Hicksville, New York. that yeah, Nobody that's... knew. <laughs> like, they're like, no, we don't want you to think, we don't want people to think that it's Hicksville, New York that we're talking about. So uh, we had a chance, but it was all like I I did a song. It was and people were like, "Oh, this can't be real! Like you must have added." And I was like, "I didn't add anything to it." But also, I lived an experience like this. And then when I hear people talk about their experiences like this, I can't even believe it. And I lived the shit. I know, you know. And it's like you get so. I remember we had this thing called Slave Day. And Slave Day was when you would buy a senior, like the underclassmen could buy a senior for the day, and they had to do whatever you wanted. They became your slave. And we bought them off of auction blocks. <laughs> but And I was in on it. I was like, oh, I remember um, putting money in to get us get to buy a senior. And then when I tell people this later on in life, like how we had a Slave Day, Part of me understands that it was dumb for us to have a thing called the Slave Day, but the other part of it was that people from the onset of hearing me mention that there was a Slave Day are already off board with it because they're like, why is there a thing called Slave Day where you're selling people on an auction block? Yeah. Because it already sounds off, and that's how deep we, we weren't even off. I wasn't even off like that. I wasn't even... You know, and when they finally got rid of it, it was like people were saying, I shut it down because I call Al Sharpton, who they hate. They hate Al Sharpton. So I somehow call Al Sharpton to shut it down. I'm like, first of all, you think Al Sharpton give a fuck about this school? <laughs> oh, they he actually really thought that you called him. And a, and a dry weave. He ain't worrying about coming here and shutting down <laughs> on motherfucking slave day. And ain't no what cameras is going to be. Like, he don't give a fuck about your thing. But this is like, this is where they were. They were yeah. constantly in shit. And I think the only victory that I really got at that school was one year we had this girl. I think her name was, I think her name was Natalie. Her name might have been Danielle also. But she was, I remember her being from New Orleans. And she was also another military brat. Because there were a lot of military brats that did because of the proximity of, you know, the Avenue Proving Ground and mm-hmm. school and all that. She came one year. She had a, a party at her house, and we, it was all a swimmer party because I remember the first time I played Marco Polo, and I had so much fun. And I remember kids even teasing us that, like, you know, that she could only half swim because she half black, but I couldn't swim because I was full black, but I was I was swimming. You know, it's like this is how dumb they are. No, I'm no. swimming, and they still telling me I don't know how to swim. Right. So – you know, or that I can't swim. I don't have the ability to swim. Mm-hmm. And so um, I'll never forget, We, she asked me to come upstairs with her. We came, I went upstairs and I went in her room and she said that her grandmother was going to put a hex on the school. And I didn't really know what all that was. You understand? Like, yeah. I just knew that 
enough to know my grandmother wasn't into all this voodoo and witchcraft and blah, 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 and that we weren't to trust it. And I just was like, okay, and I didn't believe in it. You understand? Yeah, also, of course. I didn't believe in it. She leaves the school, and this is the weirdest shit ever. She leaves the school three days, three or four days after she left the school, because she left in the middle of the second semester. There was an outbreak of scabies in the school to the point where they had to shut the school down and the school had to be quarantined for almost a month. You understand? We had to That's extend our school into the thing. And I was the only person not to get scabies. It was spreading like wildfire. And so, I mean, the justification is really, it's really hard for uh, black skin to really get scabies in the first place. It's not natural to our skin but it was the first time that I was like oh this voodoo shit might be real because it was jumping over me and hitting everyone in the school everyone Mm. a whole scabies outbreak and I said you know what right then and there I said I don't know if it's real like that but I'm gonna tell you one thing I didn't get scabies so I ain't gonna fuck with that bitch yeah Oh, I don't even know what scabies. I probably have it, but I have no idea what scabies. <laughs> no, you would know you have it because it's mites. It's uh, oh, skin mites underneath yeah. the skin, and they move around. Good. I'm glad they all so got scabies. Very Good. Itchy. Yeah, Good. they all got scabies. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. I they all, hope they were and covered. And I was glad that I didn't get the scabies because my entire school existence was about how dirty and nasty and, and dirty black people are and how nasty we are. And we leave film in the tub and, you know, our skin is dirty and our hair is dirty i know i know people are going to come comfortable hearing this but this is literally how most when people say first of all i can't most people are racist okay yeah yeah and when they say oh no it's fine you know what shut the fuck up because you're a liar just admit it it's it's okay it's actually beautiful to embrace it no i'm not saying me but i'm saying like just admit it. It's like people who say they're not conservative, they don't like Trump. Like, just admit it. I'll respect you more if you just admit it. Like, none, nothing you're saying is shocking me. It, it's, it doesn't even phase me because I know this is what you've experienced your whole life. Nobody has to be responsible for their racism except for people of color who are the victims of racism. I know. Like, you know, whenever there's a point to be made, even if there is uh, black people who will say, you know, I really hate white people. Or I don't want to be around white people or mm. white people are evil. And then people will say to them, well, you know, that's really not fair to say that. And that makes I you know. a racist. And it's like you're talking to somebody who is a product of seeing what's happening to them, specifically because of the color of their skin, by people who have different skin than them. I know. And so the result is to not... Uh, double down on them and tell them that they're racist because they're feeling, uh, you know, a way about how they're being treated and how they're being affected by things in society. It is to then turn and say, how can we make it better? But the response, like when, when we talk about like Donald Trump and how he really got there, which to be honest with you, I think a lot of things were the problem. Number one, I think the, the Democrats who also have their own issues with racism mm-hmm. and marginalization and, uh, you know, social and economic disenfranchisement of, you know, people that really uphold the roots of who they are. When we talk about how disorganized the last election was and how we got to this place, it, 
double it with I think that it obviously this election was not 100% authentic in terms of the results. I think we have to also look at the fact that 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump. So women of color tells you that they don't want to subscribe to being a feminist and supporting this sort of movement. It comes from not being protected by women who can deny their part of being a woman to align themselves to being white. It is a very uncomfortable space. And there's really been no responsibility laid in that that happened. Will the world get better? Who knows? You know, we do comedy, and that's, like, really my biggest concern. That's all I can focus on right now because I've been using my brain since I was, like, a kid Yeah. at an accelerated rate. Yeah. <laughs> I've not, I have not enjoyed um, just being a child. Um, my first experience with racism was when I was, like, six or seven years old, and uh, we used to go get pizza from this place at this strip mall, and my grandmother gave me uh, $10 bill to go get ice cream for the family. And then she got, I went to go get this ice cream and this Korean lady was behind the counter and she wasn't waiting on me. I was just standing there watching people come and go and her serving people. And then this young white couple came up behind me and the wife was like, you know, when the woman went to ask them what they wanted, she said, I think this young lady is waiting. And the woman says, she doesn't have money to buy. She's poor. Right, because you're not. I, I know. Yeah. yeah, and I remember that, and I didn't. I didn't understand it. I now I remember yeah. that experience vividly because I used to go in that ice cream shop with my grandmother all the time and look at all the ice creams behind the glass, you know, and we just point to what we want and you know stuff like that. So I remember that, and I remember this white lady saying, "That's not right." You said that to her, and I'm holding my ten dollars to this lady saying. Yeah. The white lady saying, but I do have money. But I even then, I don't know. Like, I don't understand it. And it's like, but th this white couple bought me ice cream, and they made that woman wait on me, and they told me to keep my money. And they said, we want to take you to your parent. And then they take me to my grandmother, mm. and they explain to her what happened. That's so great. So it's like, yeah, I do have good experiences of white people being kind. Mm -hmm. But there's also a, a lot of fucked up experiences yeah. of people being shitty just because of the race, uh, color of my skin. And it's, and it's, uh, and we see it even in, and still in comedy. It's like, oh, it happens. Yeah, I there see too. it constantly. I, cause I see everything, you know, I've talked to you about that. You know, there's so yeah. many people who are like, I don't see it. And it's like, open your eyes and look around. Yeah, just watch how it. someone looks at your friend. Literally, I mean, I'm serious. It's the things that they say. I, if I can, I, it's looks. I, I, I'm not also, even gonna tell you it's who. everything. I was just at a comedy table, like this was three months ago, mm -hmm. two or three months ago, and I'm sitting at this table, and I had just come back from somewhere, and I was feeling good, and I was having a conversation, just saying, and I'm just saying things, and just sort of free flowing. Two of the comics get up. There's three white male comics. Two of the white comic male comics get up. They go somewhere. And I move in closer to the table mm -hmm. to have a conversation uh, with somebody else at the table. And then they finally get up. And then one of the white male comics is still there. Scoots over next to me and goes, you know, you know a lot of big words. Now, mind you, I'm using 12th grade level words. You understand? And to him, it's like... I didn't know you could communicate like that. I know. I didn't know yeah. you spoke like that. It's like, why? 
Yeah, why, why didn't you? Know, right. like, why didn't you People why are is this so such a shock stupid. to you? I'm 40 fucking years old that I can have a con. I graduated from college. That I can have a fucking conversation at a 12th grade level. This is what's impressing you. I know. I mean, I did a show with Gina Brion years ago, and I overhear the guy saying, "You know, Gina and I came together to this spot up in Connecticut, and we both had to get back to the city for spots." And the guy's like. Well, what am I going to do? Because I can't put the two of them back to back. <laughs> you know, it's like I can't put two women back to back. And I went over to the guys. So are you fucking crazy? You just put three white guys back to back. Oh, with I've dealt with that so many times. I mean, you're dealing with it as a woman, as a black. I know it's as all a, bad. It's, it's not. Down. I know it's bad. It's people patting themselves on the back for putting me mm-hmm. on shows because like we got a black you know this Uh, is the thing like i like where i'm at now because the the level of respect i get is based upon merit at this point in time me too i've worked really hard to get the respect that i genuinely people genuinely give Mm -hmm. me respect now but at a certain point in time it was all because we can kill two birds with one stone with her because we can get a nigga on the show and a bitch at the same time because she's a nigga bitch no, I, I, oh my, I so understand that. I so understand. I understand it even just as a female comic. And now, yeah. and you're right. You, when they look at you, like, oh, well, now we're really we're we're checking off every box. This is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We have it all mm-hmm. with her. I know. I, yeah. I, I can't even imagine how that feels. I mean. Wrapping this up, I would love to ask you. I want to ask you this question, because yeah. you're on on the rise. I'm, I'm just telling you. I mean, I I'm like I'm, I don't. I, everybody says that, but I, I yeah, you are. Yet just, still, I'm trust sitting on the me. couch watching my boyfriend play NBA 2K. So well, listen, Dick is important, <laughs> not to me, but Dick is important. You can't discount that. Well, I am making a movie, which I haven't even said on this podcast, um, for FX about female comedians, a documentary. And you were like, when I'm on the phone with the producers, whenever, and I told you this, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. we want Yamanika. We want you. They all know who you yeah, are. They all sweet. think you're amazing. You know, you're going to be in it, which is, I'm so excited about. And I, I just know because I, I see I see what's going on and I, I know where, who, where you are, which is huge and growing constantly, but where you're going. So once you you. Once you have that power, forget about the money and the fame, but I'm saying that mm-hmm. power, what would be the thing you'd love to make a Because di- you're making such a difference with your art. But with yeah. that power, because that's how I look at it, I don't care about the fame and the money. I want to make changes in the world. That's really all I care about. Yeah. yeah. What would you love to, to make a difference? Like, what would you do? The thing that I've learned that I would like to push forward is to really stop a lot of the explaining unless you're in a podcast situation and I think that's what is intriguing to me or intriguing about me on stage Mm -hmm. is that there is zero concern for me when I am in front of an audience that is mostly white to express to them my plight of being a black person zero concern and zero concern for me to try to reduce myself so that they can feel comfortable so if we could just teach people who are a product of this societal rape you understand yeah i do understand that raped your spirit raped your culture or your gender raped your sexuality or your religion and to constantly 
be at the behest, speaking to people as if you have to continue to justify your existence is the number one problem I think that we experience. And so I don't do it. It's not that I don't talk about things um, that are related to uh, my gender or religion or race, but when we go on stage, it's just time to just identify human to human. So I just want people to just start to live um, as humans. I don't have a real agenda for anything else other than that, and other than to be a good person. Because yeah, well, that's that's uh, what that means. Contagious, yeah. Right. yeah, and that's contagious. And to be as wholeheartedly accessible to people that want to feel your goodness as possible. Mm-hmm. is probably one of the, the greatest things that we can do um, as flawed individuals is to be accessible to giving love, right, and, and, and joy. So we're all doing our mission as comedians when we do that successfully. Yeah, well, I I love listening to you, and I, I always learn from you, and your strength is very inspiring to everyone. And uh, when people hear this, they're, they're going to hear something, meaning hear. I don't mean they're really going to hear something. I know it. I hope so. They I are. Hope so. And if anything, I hope they hear about those frog legs and not to waste your time frying them because they are useless. <laughs> no, please. I mean, if you even a frog leg at this point with the way I'm eating is so I could eat a whole goat. Oh, my God. Anything. I, I, could have, eat I a got whole the animal for you. I know somebody that can chop up a mean goat. A mean, well, I'd like a nice goat because I can't yeah. deal with mean anything anymore. Oh, okay. Well, I think billy goats are probably mean, but um, not the ones that have to go over the troll bridge. <laughs> but we'll find you a nice little PETA-friendly goat. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. I, I Maybe one of the ones that Jesus used. Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> used. Jesus used the goat. But you know, he had goats sitting around him and stuff when he in all these little picture <laughs> illustrations that I would see growing up as a kid. It was him, Jesus, goats, and kids. <laughs> I know. Where was everyone else? <laughs> I don't know. I was like, I don't know what's going on here, but uh, I got to either be a goat or a kid because <laughs> I'm trying to get in heaven. <laughs> well, I love you so much, Yom. I'm so too, grateful. Jessica for you doing this with me you're my thank sister thank you for having me and i you're my sister too and, and we uh, got to do another video for the people because people love our videos oh you have to watch our videos yeah tell people where they can reach you like is there you know your podcast all that stuff because you do so much shit that makes me die Just... i know i'm always thinking of something crazy and everything that i think of is normally like very very last minute um, you can catch me on Instagram at, at Yamanika, which is Y-A-M-A-N-E-I-K-A. And I'm doing all kinds of stuff on there. Silly little videos. Yeah. I do 90 Day Fiance commentary every Monday with my friend and co-host Celeste Joseph Jennings, which is very funny. It's you can catch so me doing funny. funny. It, we have so much fun. It's like, it's, it's, it's just the best thing. So that, I'm doing that. There's going to be more videos of Jessica and I, uh, or Danny and I, or Jessica, Danny yeah. and I, or Frank, Jessica, Danny, Frank and I, uh, <laughs> which I just think we should just already do like a kids in the hall kind of sketch show with the four of us and just live our best lives. I'm working on um, that too, honey. Then let's do it because yeah. this this is too much talent that needs to be tapped uh, in New York City and you know just everywhere. So, yeah, 
Thank you guys so much for having me. I love you, you dearly. I will I love see you, too. you. Yeah, and thank you so much again. Anytime. Okay, honey. Be blessed.